Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Courtright's Good Friday service. My name is Allison Pinches, and I'm one of the pastoral staff here. And it's my pleasure to be able to welcome you, whether you are in the room with us or watching online at home. We are so glad to be together this morning. I wanted to make a couple announcements in light of the the recent lockdown announcements. Um, So things are gonna be just a little bit different. We have some tighter restrictions, but we are able to continue with our Sunday service. Uh, Registration is now closed for that, and it'll be the same for Sundays going forward. So we're gonna still be able to welcome a smaller capacity of people in the building. So once again, we just ask that you continue to sign up as you have been on a Sunday morning to be able to join us um, during, for the duration of the lockdown. Our service this morning is a little bit different. Uh, You're going to hear a number of readings and reflections interspersed with songs, and uh, we're glad to be able to remember uh, this occasion together with one another. Let's pray as we enter into our time of worship together this morning. Lord Jesus, on this most solemn and sorrowful of days, would you lead us from the darkness of the garden to the bare courtyard packed with soldiers? Would you draw us from Pilate's palace and its crowds through the streets of Jerusalem and then show us the way to a lonely hillside where the Lamb of God waits for us? Would we see you? We would follow you, Jesus, on this your day of suffering. Amen. Please stand as you are able. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son. Of God who came, ruin sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah! What a
I'm going to read the story of Jesus before Pilate. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, well, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus replied, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then? said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king? In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone who knows the truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? No, they shouted back. Not him. Give us Barabbas. Jesus is brought before Pilate by the religious leaders. These devout men did not enter the palace so that they could remain ritually pure. They brought Jesus to Pilate believing they were upholding their laws and defending the Jewish religion from a dangerous heretic, someone who disturbed and challenged them. According to the scripture, they had no right to execute anyone, so they handed Jesus over to Pilate so they could have him killed, all the while remaining ceremonially clean. Often, I think we feel as though we can't really relate to the religious leaders. After all, they're, they're kind of like the bad guys in the story. I mean, if we were in the story, we would be like Jesus' disciples, right? We'd be one of the group traveling from town to town, witnessing the miracles, eating with him, the Last Supper. Or would we? I mean, Jesus was not exactly hanging out with the elite, educated crowd of the day. Recently on social media, a friend posted something that really, really irked me. And when I read it, I felt angry, indignant, and defensive. 
I wanted to let her know that she was in the wrong by leaving a comment on the post. In the end, I decided that what I'd planned to say was not exactly an encouraging or loving word from a fellow believer. As God seemed to draw my attention to the religious leaders in the story, I was reminded of this situation from my own life. Was I really different from them? I had judged my friend. I wanted to defend my side and reveal the hypocrisy that I thought I was witnessing. And I felt that I was definitely in the right. And I think actually that all of you would have agreed with me. But in reminding me of this story, I felt as though God was putting his finger on my own hypocrisy. Aren't there times that we act like those religious leaders, feeling offended, believing that we are in the right and others are in the wrong? Are there times that we judge and condemn others who may look different, speak with an accent, smell different, or think differently than us? What about fellow believers with whom we have differences of opinion? Is it possible that we believe that we are defending righteousness, yet standing up for something that might not be a priority for Jesus? In a world that worships power, popularity, celebrity, and money, what does Jesus value? Are we, like the religious leaders, actually missing Jesus' true message and the message of his kingdom that he tells Pilate is not of this world. This is why Jesus chose to go to the cross for us. No matter how loving or kind or Christ-like we try to be, this is not something we can do in our own strength. Our efforts matter, but there are times when we are like the religious leaders Whitewashed tombs, Jesus called them, when we present a moral, upright exterior, while inside there's a feeling of superiority, judgment, and a lack of love. Jesus said to Pilate, In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And Pilate retorts, What is truth? Jesus had told his disciples the night before that he was the way, the truth, and the life and that when they'd seen him, they'd seen the Father. And the religious people missed it. In their haughty, offended state, they missed the Messiah. They were so blinded by their laws, their traditions, their ritual purity, and their arrogance, that they missed who Jesus truly was. Emmanuel, God with us, love with skin on. Let us be so careful not to miss Jesus too. Our suffering servant king, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Please stand again as you are able, as we sing, continue that theme of the man of sorrows. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God. 
by his own betraying the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid silence as he stood accused beaten mocked and scorned bowing to the Father's will he took a crown of thorns oh the rugged cross my salvation
God, we are on this day torn between the reality of the cross and the celebration of what is to come in just a couple days' time. And in that tension, there is something for us. There is something for us to take in and experience. Particularly, Lord, we recognize the sin that brought Jesus to the cross. It is not just the sin of people 2,000 years ago, but it is today ours as well. We recognize, Lord Jesus, that it is our sin that held you on that cross. The thoughts that we've had the gossip that we've shared, the harm, the theft, the murder, the stealing. Lord, we confess all of it before you. We confess the times when we have been unloving, when we've been ungracious, when we've been impatient, when we have idolized things, when we've become prone to addiction or things that sat, that we try to fill our lives with that we think will satisfy but do not. And so we bring those all before you. Knowing that you forgive, knowing that because of the work of the cross, you forgave. Jesus cried out those words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We pray that over us as well, Lord. Remind us of your grace and your love on this day. And may we journey toward Resurrection Sunday with this in view. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be reading from John 19, 1 to 16. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. 
But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Here is the man, Pilate says to the crowd. Behold, your king. And how do they respond? Crucify him, they cry. Take him away. We have no king but Caesar. As I read through this passage, I felt the same invitation be extended to me. Behold, your king. Here he is. Really take a minute and look at him. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. This is my king, a crown of thorns upon his head. He's been beaten and bruised on my behalf. He's being mocked and scorned in my place. He's bleeding and scarred and disfigured, and my instinct is to wince and turn away. This is an image that twists my heart. And yet still I hear him calling out to me, behold, your king. This is him. This is love. Don't turn your head. Don't push him away as the crowd did and as we also so often do without even thinking. No. Today in particular, take time and intention to behold him, to behold Jesus, the suffering servant, and our king. Thank you, Chelsea. Let's continue on. Stand as you are able. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow I I know nothing 
nothing for can sin. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that Crucifixion of Jesus Christ from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 16 to 27. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many Jews read this sign. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, 
that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple he lo whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. At Easter time, it is so important that we step back and ponder what the cross means to us as Christians. There's so much that stems from this cross in our lives, but particularly, particularly what I've been reflecting on recently is how this cross so fully encompasses the church. In verses 19 and 20, we read, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. It was common practice for the Romans to write the offense that prompted the crucifixion of the convicted onto their cross. In this moment of death, well on display, Jesus is portrayed for exactly what he is, and he's killed for it. I want to draw special attention to verse 20, though. It is no mistake that this sign was read by many Jews, and that the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. These languages show the inclusivity of the gospel, Aramaic for the local inhabitants, Greek is the common tongue of the Eastern Mediterranean, and Latin for the Roman officials. All were witness to the charge brought against him. Not only were all witnessed, though, but all were at fault for the death he would die. More than that, though, this man was slain to cover them all. Jesus Christ on the cross is the most unifying force on the planet. It's something that brings people together into one group from across ethnic, linguistic, socioeconomic, and any background you can think of. As I've been away at Bible school this year, it's something I've marveled at. The way I can meet people with upbringings completely different than mine. People that were that were I choosing friends based on similar likes or dislikes, I would never pick. It is these people I find myself approaching the Lord's table with. It is these people I find myself growing with. And it is these people I'm able to call brother and sister in Christ. We see that this cross is actually more than just an invitation to salvation. Tied in with it is an offer to be brought into this worldwide group, and more than a group, a family, the church. Verses 25 to 27 read, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. This care from Jesus toward his mother as he endures his excruciating pain is more than just a son's loving instinct. And this call to his disciple to love radically echoes to more people than just him. This here is an image of the church of Jesus Christ. This is exactly what he wants his body to look like. And this church, this family, is born from the cross. In hard times, and I venture to say that no one has had the easiest year of their lives, I have found that if I am not coming to the cross over and over again, then my standard of love falls lower and lower. This cross is the greatest demonstration we have of the unknowable depth of the love God has for us. And what does Jesus say, though, as he is in the midst of bearing this incredible pain? He calls us to love. We see here 1 John 4.9 incredibly vividly. We love because he first loved us. Jesus' call to his church body does not change depending on the circumstances. We are incredibly diverse, and yet we are tighter because of how we come together. We come under one person, 
We were all covered by one sacrifice, and we all kneel, kneel under the same cross. The church has its head in Christ, and our standard for loving each other from it as well. John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The cross shows us first what love looks like, and then it compels us to love as well. Please stand as we are reminded of that love, how deep the Father's love for us. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He should give His only Son To make a wretch's treasure How great the pain of searing loss the Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the Chosen One Bring many sons to glory Behold My sin upon his shoulders Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him
seated as we prepare to hear from uh, Rowena Ritter, who is our Family Ministries Director. This is uh, maybe the first time a lot of you have seen her in quite a long while, and she was quite ex excited to share with us this morning as, uh, as she looks at the death of Jesus. So we're looking forward to hearing from Rowena. John 19, verse 28-37. to Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they spoke, soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And, as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. As I take a deep breath and open my heart to Jesus, I hear silence. Through all the cacophony of the noise, the crying out, the moans of pain, jeering, laughing, gambling away his clothing, there is silence as Jesus spoke these words. It is finished. I wonder if anyone heard that silence, if it was tangible like a black hole that sucks everything else around. I wonder if it was like last Easter when we saw images of an empty world. It makes me aware of my brokenness and frayed edges and of threads that have been set askew and the messed up pattern of me the brilliance of this moment is that in that darkness and separation of pain and suffering, it is there that everything is made whole. It is the moment of completion, the relationship between God and his children, the relationship that was beautiful and perfect in the Garden of Eden, the relationship that was left broken, bleeding because of our betrayal and disobedience, letting darkness creep in, it is here that it is made whole. Think of the magnitude of this. Jesus willingly submits to the separation from his Father. I don't love the word submit, but it is an incredibly powerful word. How painful that must have been for him, intensely more than the physical pain his body was enduring. 
He faces this with a calm heart because he clings to the center and the truth and the promise that his father made. I can feel overrun by the words that can torment and tear me to pieces, and in these moments there are truths that I need to hang on to. And these truths are the same promises of God that Jesus knew would never be broken. These truths are that I belong, I am loved, and I will not be put to shame, that he will always come when I call. And as I learned in VeggieTales long ago, that God is indeed bigger than the boogeyman. Jesus loves us so much to do this, to be taunted and laughed at and not be shamed or broken, to be beaten, vulnerable, his body exposed, and not to cry out at the injustice, to experience humiliation, disparaging lies told about him, and to walk in truth, to experience the physical pain of nails on his hands and his feet, to be bound and enslaved, trapped in a nightmare, and to hold on to hope, because he knew the promise and he knew our God does not fail and does not disappoint. Jesus walked right into that darkness with his heart fully submitted to God. He let go of himself knowing that his father had a plan, even through the valley of the shadow of death. I wonder how he wrestled with his submission. I wonder if he was afraid. The transformation of broken creation to redemption is more magnificent than I can imagine. I feel it in my heartbeat. I feel it when I hear God's voice and know it's him. I feel it when one of my kids asks a question and the Holy Spirit fills my heart to speak. I feel it when I watch the water running over smooth rocks. When I see the patterns and cycles of the year. I see it in friendship, in love, in the care of others. I see it in the patience and adoration of a husband who kneels down in prayer with me. In sorrow, Mary and Martha wrapped Jesus' body with the greatest of care, and his body was sent to a burial place, and a stone rolled in front, leaving Jesus' body in darkness. They did not have the understanding of the Holy Spirit to be able to see what was going to happen, that joy that would be coming in the morning. So as we are still, breathe in this moment of Good Friday. Remember how the promise of redemption walked willingly into darkness to bear our sins, our betrayal and brokenness, to be cut off from his Father. Reach past the darkness and know that you belong that there is truth that is real and tangible, that you are beloved, that Jesus knows the suffering and emptiness and loneliness. He is the God of the broken and the savior of those who live in darkness. Let us await and trust in the dancing that will come. For one last time, would you stand as you're able When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince 
Jesus. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Ever since the chief priest had declared, the whole world is going after him, 
The Sanhedrin had boldly sought to have Jesus killed. The brutal crucifixion satisfied their plotting. However, there were a few holdouts that just couldn't see the harm in what the prophetic teacher was doing. After Nicodemus had returned from his clandestine meeting with Jesus, they had gathered, sharing the incredible insights gleaned from his conversation. A small group of leaders had studied both the scriptures as well as Jesus' actions. This led them to believe in the Son of Man, though they remained silent, hidden, for fear of their Sanhedrin companions. They, like the called disciples of Jesus, had good reason to think if the authorities could sell out Jesus to the Romans, what could they do to us? This fear of retribution was sufficient to keep them from acting, that is, until they witnessed the actual betrayal of Jesus. In the light of time constraints, undoubtedly encouraged by the Holy Spirit, which was being released through the glorification of Jesus on the cross, two significant members of the Sanhedrin defied their ranks, seeking permission to bury Jesus before the sun would set on the day of preparation. The time was incredibly important for Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, as the next day was both the Sabbath and the Passover. No burial would be allowed on that day. If they didn't succeed, the body of Jesus would hang on the cross for vultures to feed upon like carrion. They must have thought this through together and planned to honor Jesus with a proper burial. Otherwise, they could never have pulled it off as John's Gospel describes it to us. I imagine Joseph approaching Pilate, still in a foul mood after succumbing to the crowd's demands, his wife's warnings about Jesus still fresh in his mind. What will this powerful yet unpredictable ruler do with Joseph and his request? Will he throw Joseph to the wolves in prison in a fit of rage? It's a tremendous risk that he's taking. Fortunately, courage is rewarded. The Spirit's protection is evident. Pilate releases the body of Jesus. Meanwhile, Nicodemus is gathering the grave linens, plus 75 pounds of aloe and myrrh for the proper wrapping of Jesus' body. Are there others who assist in the body preparation? We're not told but there are women who know where the tomb is located. Perhaps they assisted with the washing and wrapping of Jesus before he's laid in the tomb. All is prepared and Jesus is carefully laid in the unused tomb, one that was never used in a garden that is near Golgotha. Everything done according to Jewish custom with the highest degree of care. Now let's quickly review a few salient points from John's account. First, remember Judas complaining about one pound of nard being used to anoint Jesus at the dinner in honor of Lazarus being raised? Now Nicodemus and Joseph have supplied 75 pounds of spices to anoint Jesus' body for burial. 
is an amount comparable to what was used for Herod Antipas. 2. Ordinary criminals were buried in a common, unmarked grave, not a tomb. We don't even hear the fate of the two thieves who were crucified beside Jesus, but we know he was given the tomb of a rich man among important families in a garden. The earth man, Adam, appeared in a garden. The son of man, Jesus, is buried in a garden. 3. Jesus' body was whole and not broken because he died without the aid of the Roman centurions breaking his bones. This was important to fulfill the prophetic words that told he would have no broken bones. 4. Nicodemus and Joseph must have believed something amazing was about to happen. They risked everything of meaning in this world. Reputation, position, power, wealth. Then, in burying him, they made every possible choice to grant him the honor due to the king of the Jews. Just as his mocking signpost pronounced in three different languages, for the whole world to acknowledge. 5. The burial of Jesus completed precisely what would be expected in the preparation for the Passover. The lamb had been slain, the blood had been spread, and the sins of the people who came to the cross in faith would be forgiven. It was the moment of glorification. All that remained to be fulfilled was the promise of eternal life. How God would fulfill this promise was something all disciples were anticipating. Some in fear in an upper room. Some having risked everything believing in Jesus. Some, like the women, wondering how they would continue to serve the leader they loved. What does the glorification of Jesus mean for the future of the believers? I hear the Savior say Thy strength Indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I Stay, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the the heart of 
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the I stand in him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for the cross. Our burden was heavy, but you paid it all. You entered into the darkness and despair of the world. You take the part of the God forsaken. You feel the pain and the injustice of all around us. You come among us and you weep with us. Your love astounds us. Your death dumbfounds us. Thank you for doing what we could never have done. We praise you for emptying yourself of all glory and becoming the lowest of the low so that we could be made new, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Lord, we pray for all who are in difficulty right now, especially as a third lockdown arrives. We know that you are with those who suffer. And Lord, we think of your disciples on the first Good Friday who were locked down, who were afraid, who were alone. You did not abandon them. And you promise to us that you will never leave us. You are always with us. And you give us hope even at the worst of times. 
We come before you today with our needs and the needs of our world. Some of us are sick. Others are dealing with major anxiety. Some of us are grieving the loss of a loved one. Others are crushed by the weight of a broken relationship. Some of us have lost jobs. All of us have lost opportunities over the past year. Some of us despair. Many of us are lonely to the point of breaking. Some of us are struggling with mental illness. Others are caring for someone who is. We all face future uncertainty, especially due to the pandemic. You are the only one who really knows what we're going through. Lord, you were condemned to silence the voices in our own hearts of self-condemnation. Lord, some of us are struggling with that in a, in a real way right now. We feel our failure. We feel inadequate, unloved. Show us at the cross your enormous, boundless love for us. Lord, we ask for peace in the world. We pray for those living alone this weekend especially and for families at close quarters. Holy Spirit, bring peace to our homes, our grocery stores, and to our hearts and attitudes. Move us to generosity. Continue to strengthen those on the front lines of this battle against the pandemic from the ICUs to the one who delivers our takeout or our packages, watch over us. Guide us and our government away from fear into kindness. Humble our leaders, give them wisdom so they can lead us well. We pray for peace and we rest upon your work at the cross, Lord Jesus. Amen. After the benediction, we will have one more song. We invite you to stay for that and beyond, if you choose to, for further reflection. Take this time now, remain seated, pray, meditate, and when you do live, leave, please leave in silence. Jesus, we wait by your tomb carrying our grief, the grief of the betrayer, the grief of the denier, the grief of the crucifiers. We carry the grief of the lost, the heartbroken, the bereft. But you, you took it all. You took our sorrow, our sin, and our grief. You bore it unto death. It is finished, you said. God of endings, God of darkness, God of the tomb, God of hard days and great loss, be with us now as we wait with Jesus.
crucify my Lord. Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they nailed him to Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they laid him in the Thank you.